Hey, this is Hojo, and you're listening to me on Baseball and Barbecue with my two best friends, my new best friends, Jeff and Leonard. So y'all enjoy it, okay? episode 108 of Baseball and Barbecue. I'm here with my outstanding host, Jeff Where? Cohen. Where? Where? Oh, me. <laughs> Thank you very much, Leonard. And I'm here with Leonard, another outstanding co-host. Thank you. This is episode 108. It's the second part of our effort to get Gil Hodges his well-deserved inclusion in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Yes, yes, and we have two incredible guests. You want to tell us who we have? I, I do in just a second, but I just want to say, before we get to these two guests, it is amazing to me. It's absolutely incredible the response that we have received to episode 106, which had Ed Cranepool, Kevin Kiernan. Kernan, and of course, Mike LaColent and yes. Sam Maxwell. The response has been overwhelming. And it's amazing because it's not only is it across the country, but it's around the world. And this is a man that is known for being a Brooklyn Dodger, a manager of the you know world champion 69 Miracle Mets. And yet his influence is is all over the place. Not only do we see where people are are watching or are listening to this, but the comments that we have received. And now we have two great guests on this show. We have none other than his oldest daughter Irene Hodges, and of course Gary Mack of the Mets Musings podcast. And let me just say, Jeff, Irene Hodges, phenomenal woman. She came on expressed her feelings about her father, about the people that are trying so hard to get him into the Hall of Fame. And then she sent us such a beautiful note. Do tell. She said, I just finished listening to your amazing podcast. There are a few words I can say to you both that express how incredible it was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please know how much I appreciate all you were doing for my dad. I mean, that's just it made me feel so good. And, and you know, she appreciates all of it because I see on Facebook mm-hmm. with the group to get him in. She appreciates everybody on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And, and since our last episode, we've come to find out that the baseball's early era committee and Golden Days era committee are, are going to meet on December 5th. 
So that I think Lil is part of the Golden Days era committee. I, I don't, you know, I didn't even know if he's on the ballot. I, that that's I'm not sure if that thing made public, but if that's if he's on the ballot, that would be the ballot. And I implore everybody go on to Twitter, Facebook, whatever social media, tag the Baseball Hall of Fame and say you want Gil Hodges in in the Hall of Fame. And with that, let's get right to Irene Hodges as she talks about the wonderful man that we all know and she knows extremely well as her father. Baseball and barbecue listeners, we are so lucky to have with us one of Gil Hodges' children. Irene Hodges is his daughter. And who better to be able to talk about the man and tell us about him as a, as just as a father, as a human being, than one of his own children. So Irene, this is an honor to welcome you. That's very kind of you. Thank barbecue. you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for thanks for being here. I want to uh, read you a quote from uh, Cory Campanella, and it says, "Gil Hodges is a Hall of Fame man." How does that make you feel? It makes me feel honored. It makes me feel very fortunate that he was my dad. I, of course, did nothing to deserve him, but I am very fortunate to have such a wonderful man to call my father. 50 years he's gone very shortly. And it's amazing. It's just amazing to me how many people talk about him and remember him and people that honestly, are too young to even know him, you know, to have seen him play. But their parents saw him play or their parents loved the Dodgers or 69 Mets was like a whole nother generation. So I'm just very, very fortunate. That's how I feel about it. Irene, how old were you when, when he passed away? 21. 21. Well, 20, actually. Yeah. You, you were very young. I mean, but you. We I mean, were all, to, you know, I had a sister that was 15. I had a sister mm-hmm. that was 10. And he passed away. Okay. So. And your brother, Gil Hodges Jr., he, is he the oldest? Yes, he is. Okay. So, you know, everybody we speak to, of course, and everything you read, and, and it's like an atrocity that he's not in the Hall of Fame. We think eventually he's going to get in the Hall of Fame. But you know what? That It, it doesn't even. Originally, we started this out where we we were like, we want Gil Hodges in the Hall of Fame. But I don't even know that that matters as much. I mean, I'm sure it would mean a lot to your family, a lot to his fans, a lot to so many people if he got into the Hall of Fame. But to find out, to just hear all these great things about him Mm -hmm. has got to mean just as much as if he gets into the Hall of Fame. The last voting when he didn't make it, which was maybe three years ago. And I'm trying to remember. I think it was three years ago. I have to be honest with you. I felt worse for his fan base that had worked so hard to get him in. Because I went on Facebook and I told them, I said, you know, it's one thing for my family. We had him and, you know, we loved him. And as much as he deserves it and we wanted for him, that's not so important because he was 
our family. He was, you know, I had so much more, but you all love him for no reason, you know, without knowing him, you know, you love him for what you know about him. So I felt terrible. I was so, I felt so sorry for them because they worked hard to promote him. And I do, I feel very, so much pride for all the people that work to get him in even though I don't think they should have to work so hard. Um, <laughs> but I do feel bad for all the people that love him and want to see him in. I do. You know, there, his number is retired at City Field, and it's it's a great honor to see that every time I, I, I go. And mm-hmm. my dad, I never saw I never saw your dad play. I, remember, I was too young. I, I was actually seven yeah. years old when the Mets won the World Series. Okay. But my dad was telling me a story. And he was on that show, the Happy Felton, not Happy Hogan. Felton. Yes. Right. And he was on the show and he actually had a catch with your dad. And I was like, oh, in wow. Awe. How nice. I was How in awe. Nice. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I, I will tell you a, a quick funny story. My mom was in rehab last year. And one of the young girls that was helping her, an arts and craft worker, you know, this and that. And of course, my mother tells everyone about my dad. And I'm talking to this girl, her name was Teresa. And she said, you're not going to believe this. And she sends me a picture of her dad holding a suitcase of my father's from, and it says some kind of beer, Shepherd beer. I forget the name of the beer it was, Gil Hodges and a a bat. And it's he's had it in his garage for years, really? and he said I would never I would never part with this. And is you know oh my goodness, so many people it's like crazy. He means so much to so many people, absolutely. Yeah. And not only that, he he's not only a great player, he was a great manager, yeah. but a, a war hero. You know, we 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 know about his his time in the service. Very proud of that. Yes, absolutely. So proud of that. Never spoke of the war. Mm-hmm. Never, ever, ever spoke of the war. But such a proud Marine. When I would be alone with him in the car, going to the stores or something, he would. He was a terrible singer. He would teach me the halls of Montezuma in the car, and we mm-hmm. sing it together. But that's the only thing I've ever heard about war with him. Never, never a word. Right. Clem Labine wrote, had, had a, a quote, not getting booed at Ebbets Field is an amazing thing. Those fans knew their baseball and Gil was the only player I can remember who the fans never, and I mean never, booed. And that's got to be an honor, too. I mean, he, he was just so beloved in Brooklyn. It was. It was amazing. You know, it was, but it was such a different time. I mean, he lived among the fans. We were, he'd go to the store, you know, he'd take us, I'd go to the store with him or any of us. I mean, he'd go to church together. It was so different. It was a different, you know, he'd be part of the community that we lived in. It wasn't, you know, a separation. It was just part of the family. Yeah, those teams, the Brooklyn Dodgers, the Yankees then, the, the New York Giants, they did. They lived right in their communities and mm-hmm. and they were just they were part of the fabric Absolutely. fabric of the city and i think that's what made them so special that you know they walk the streets like everybody else and they they come to watch me play ball in school or you know everything was 
like every other family. Irene, you there are certain Dodgers. They just they do they resonate with the fans. Mm-hmm. Why do you think? other than the fact that your dad was great and you loved him and everything. But what do you think it was about him that made him such a fan favorite? I think because he was such a good man. And I think they knew that. He was respectful on the field and off the field. He was respectful to everyone. He really was. He, he, he would never, I know a story when he got thrown out once as a manager and he, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but it's okay. I mean, he's gone 50 years. <laughs> he can't get mad at me. Um, and he, the uh, umpire said to him, they told me you were a nice guy. And he said, and they told me you knew baseball, you're a jerk or something like that. And then the next day, it bothered him so much. And I, you have to know him to know how far gone he had to be to get to that point to say that. Because he just never had that way about him. And the next day, he called all the umpires to home plate. And he said to him, I owe you an apology. And I want to say it in front of everyone. What I said to you was wrong. What you said was right. What I said was wrong. And I apologize to you. Wow. Stand up, really? man. Yes, Stand you never. I mean, that you, was pretty yeah. insane, right? That's yeah, that's so. incredible. That's that's mm-hmm. that's seriously incredible. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's how he was. You know, he treated everyone with dignity, he treated everyone with respect. So how he wanted he? it back. <laughs> <laughs> how was he when uh, in, his, in his playing days, playing in Brooklyn? How was he when he came home after a game? Did he bring the game home with him? Was he did he talk about the game? Um, I, I was really very young then when he played, but I don't ever remember him bringing it home or being frustrated or, you know, I don't remember that. I remember as he managed, he would, he would, he would go over it and over it and over it. You know, should I have done this? Should I, you know, had I done this, you know, maybe this would have worked that kind of those thoughts but he, he was never one to be upset to the point like he was angry or never happened. It wasn't, that wasn't his, that wasn't the way he reacted to it. No. Ed Cranepool actually told us, he said, if he had been the manager in 73, we would have won the world series. Would have. Yeah. And that's, I think he would have. Yeah. Because he knew them so well. He, sure. he knew he knew their straw points. He knew how to handle them. You know, he made them all. I don't want to say better people because that's not correct, but I want to say he made them want to win, you know, not to be satisfied with being mediocre. He wanted them to, to be better than they thought they were. Your dad on the Brooklyn Dodgers played with Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, ever get the chance to meet Jackie Robinson? Oh, many times. Can tell us a little bit about that. Such a kind man. Such a such a kind man. Absolutely. I was gonna ask the same thing. How was his relationship with uh with Jackie? He he was on the Um, team when he he was very close with Jackie. He was, you know, he was Jackie went through a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. as everyone knows. And he you know, and my dad was from Indiana. He was from the Midwest. But 
he it never meant a thing to him. He had such respect for Jackie and and Rachel, you know, and the family. I mean, they we'd be in Vero Beach in Florida, also in spring training. And they'd come over, they'd be part of, you know, our family. I'd play with their kids, they'd mm-hmm. play with us. There was never anything like that. Never. You know, I, I get the feeling that he he it must have really bothered him to see what Jackie had to go through when he came up. Absolutely. Yeah. And it bothered honestly, it bothered my mother as well. Because you know, even with the wives, there was little distance, you know, maybe from their husbands or whatever. But it was difficult for them. It was very, very difficult for him. But they knew that Jackie was the man to do the job. Yeah. Absolutely. Was your dad especially close to anybody on, on, on the Dodgers? I'll get to the Mets uh, in, a little, in a little while. But anybody close, like like uh, Juan Campanello, P.V. Reese, Jackie, was they any anyone who was closer to Gil and anybody else? I think Jackie was probably, he was probably very close with Jackie. He mm. was, he was very fond of Jackie. Jackie was strong like my dad, not physically, but mentally strong. He was, you know, my dad was like that. He, tremendous mind. And I think Jackie was like that. And, and my father admired that about him. I think Jackie was probably the closest person on the team to him. I mean, not that there wasn't, you know, Pee Wee was very, you know, they there was so many. Carl, mm-hmm. you know, was very close. I remember Carl, my grandmother used to cook for Carl all the time <laughs> in spring training, you know, but it was very different then. But they were very close. They play cards late at night, you know. Irene, there they were, were four, close. They, four, four kids. How was it? Did you ever have to... Did you feel like you had ever had to fight for your dad's attention with four kids? No, because I was his favorite. So <laughs> I didn't have to fight for it. <laughs> um, my sisters, were, there was a big gap. I had my middle sister was five years younger. My youngest sister, who passed away a couple of years ago, was 10 years younger than I am. My brother, a year older, but I was his first girl. I took that. Yeah. And I, I know how it is with the the, the girl. I, I have a daughter and, okay. and you know, and she and I, and I love my children equally. But they of say that the daughter wraps you around. Right. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, my brother had my mother. She was Italian. That was fine. <laughs> but uh, I was I was very, very close to my dad. The uh, the Dodgers leave New York in 1958, and your dad goes out to Los Angeles with them. With them, mm-hmm. he comes back to New York a few years later. First, my my question is: Did the whole family move out to Los Angeles, or you just stayed in Brooklyn while he was out there? No, we all went. You all went. I remember having Holy Communion in California. Uh-huh. Um, I remember, as I said, my mother was Italian. She'd never been that far from her family, from her parents. I mean, she never unpacked. We lived out in suitcases because she just couldn't bring herself to do that, you know, mm-hmm. to think that she was staying that far away. And at that time, California seemed an eternity, you know, eight mm-hmm. hour flight and, and everything else. But we were. It's It was very short. You know, it didn't seem like we were there and we weren't for a long time. It was very different. The stadium was huge. California people were very different than we were. 
But I don't think, I mean, my dad was happy to play always, always, mm -hmm. always. I don't think my mother was very happy there, but that's where his, his job took him. That's where we had to go, like anybody else who has to move their job. Right. And he comes back to New York in 62 with the Mets. And first of all, was he happy to come back to New York, even though it was a, uh, a lousy team? But he got to play. But he got, um, got to play back in New York. Well, he came back as a player, right? You know, when they when they started the Mets, and he was. This is his home. Even though Indiana, he was definitely an Indiana boy. Brooklyn was his home. Brooklyn loved him, and he loved them. So he was, and he knew he was going to be ending his career, and they brought him back so he could end it here, and mm -hmm. he appreciated that. He wanted to end his career here. Yeah. And he goes to the Washington Senators to begin managers. his manager's career. I think he took over for mm -hmm. Ted Williams, if I, uh, yes. if I remember right. Uh, and you know what? Okay. His first managerial job, and he takes a lousy Senators team and really improves them. He did a great job. Correct. Yeah, He did a really good job. And Washington, I mean, we lived in Washington during the summers. Washington's a football place. You know, they weren't a big baseball I, you know, I can remember fighting in the stands. We don't know what you're talking about or something like that. But um, he did a good job. He, he, it was a good learning experience for him, I think. He, I don't, Frank Slocum was his dearest friend. He was assistant commissioner of baseball to Ford Freck. And he was his dearest confidant. I mean, he's. He'd the only one he'd spend hours and hours and hours on the phone. And he, he told them, take it. It's a, it's a good stepping stone. And it was, it really was, you know, he never gave himself enough credit to mm -hmm. do a job, but he did a really good job there. Irene, your, your mother never remarried, did she? No, she didn't. She didn't. You think that's, because she could never find someone who would live up to your father? I don't know. That would be hard to say. I mean, she was very young. She was 47 when my father passed away, 46, yeah. 44. My father was 47. Mm -hmm. So they would, you know, my mom was very young. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to live in that kind of a shadow for any man. And she would always be who she was. She could. She wasn't going to give that up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, she definitely had friends, you know, through life, which she was entitled to, of course, but never, never that serious that she would marry. <laughs> In 68, he's traded, traded, a manager is traded to the mm -hmm. Mets. And yeah. again, that must have been a thrill for him. And he took a you know, lousy team. And again, we know what happened in 69, but in 68, he just observed and watched his team develop. He was, you know, New York is tough to manage him. You know, number one, they know their baseball probably better than anybody else. They're as tough as you could be. But he was sure with his experience in Washington that he could hopefully do this job and do it justice. He wanted to do so much for New York. He really did. And he did. He, he absolutely was fortunate yeah. enough to have the players to do it. He did. Irene, you, you notice how 
you notice how this works? I I ask the kind of the questions about life and things. And Jeff, Jeff is great. He brings it right back to the heart of the matter. <laughs> That's why we make right back great- to the heart of the matter. That's good. It's well, good. It's Gil, a nice Gil, combo. Yeah, Gil is such an icon. Your dad is such mm-hmm. an icon here in New York, but he also managed an icon here in New York with Tom Seaver. And that is just a luxury to have being a manager of the Mets. Yes. And a a former Marine as well, too. Yes. Yes. And they had a tremendous respect for each other. I will say this when I loved Tom. And even to this day, it's hard for me to talk about him, even though I think, you know, because I love him. He loved my dad so much. And when we went to the last game at Shea Stadium and they had the Mets on the field and my family was there, you know, my mom and my brother and myself. And he looked at my family and put his hand over his heart and was going like this, wanting us to know that he was remembering my dad. That's pretty Mm -hmm. special. I mean, it really is. And his Hall of Fame speech, he he referenced your dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, always, the, yeah. always had so much wonderful things. Mike, they they had a, a tremendous, tremendous relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it was almost like a father son in baseball. You know, right. if you could have that. Irene, were you in Florida? Were you at spring training in, in somewhere in Florida? Uh, my father passed away. No, passed? I got the call though. I got the call on Easter. From Joe Pignatano called me. Mm-hmm. I was home. I don't even think there was cell- there definitely wasn't cell phones then. So my mother and my sisters, no, my mother was at her mother's. We had Easter there. And I had come home early and I was laying down. And Joe Pignatano called the house. Plus, it was like yesterday. And said, uh, we lost daddy today. Yeah, that that's, that's, yeah, that was that was definitely, and I was it was seventy two, so I was ten years old, and mm-hmm. I, I, I I do remember that, and and the Mets that they uh, they named Yogi Berra a couple days later, and I I think they did a terrible disservice. The Mets did a Yogi terrible Berra. disservice right. Right. Mm-hmm. announcing mm-hmm. that on the day of the funeral. Yeah, and that was just I don't have a lot of kind kind words for Donald Grand, uh, but <laughs> you're not the um, only one. I understand baseball and I understand business. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you have to use timing, but that was his choice. Yeah. How was he with the other teammates? I mean, we talked about Tom Seaver, but I mean, you had Jerry Kuzman on that team. You had Jerry Grody. I mean, these guys, and we, 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 like Glenn said, we spoke to Ed Cranepool. Your dad just did such an amazing job with that team. Yeah, I know you must be. I know you're proud, and I know he must have been so proud. To this day, I mean, he went through things with with his team. You know, he was he was a leader. You know, he was strict, but only to the point where he knew what you were capable of doing, and he wouldn't accept anything less. And I think sometimes they didn't even know they had that ability, but. He did. So if you hear any of them speak, they only have the the highest regard for him, you know, and they're the ones that say, you know, we wouldn't have been where we were without him. Well, 
I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Absolutely not. Yeah, we had Ron Swoboda on. Right. Um, <laughs> and he he spoke about how he, Jeff, am I yeah. wrong? I, Ron said he was immature. Right. Yes. And with your dad. And, and then he, he, he realized later on how right, right he was. Exactly. Uh, but he was right. more of a hothead and, and you know, mm-hmm. wouldn't take authority. But but he did speak highly of him, you know, exactly as, as he knew, you know, when he matured. Exactly. That's that's my point is even even, you know, people who didn't realize it at the time, you know, have this right. respect and admiration. Kids. Exactly. And you have to remember, they were a joke. You know, they were really not even taken seriously as right. as a team and that would never happen with my father i mean are you kidding you, you're out there getting paid uh you know you work for your pay no matter what you are so and they all to this day the ones that are left all only have the highest regard for him and realized at that time he was what he wanted from them yeah so he was strict he didn't take nonsense. You, you know, Len said earlier, we, we really hope that he gets into the Hall of Fame one day. He deserves right. it. Not, not just because he was a great player, and he was a great player. I mean, you know, I know he's an eight-time All-Star. He was voted, uh, got MVP votes every year. The first three Gold Glove Award winners, and he would have been right. more if they had the Gold Glove. He, he was, But not just as a player. And a manager, even though it was a short time for a manager, but he was a, a, a tremendous manager. But also as, as a ambassador to the game, the the intangibles he brought to the game, the historic time during the game, like you you were mentioning with Jackie Robinson, he was you know he's right there. He was he's a, a Hall of Fame player, a Hall of Fame man, like Roy Campanella said. They all had. They weren't. I don't think you'll ever find that. Again, that kind of camaraderie that they had, they they were all good friends. You know, they were all, they were always pulling for the other guy. Always, always. Yeah. So, and, you know, I, we they were a wonderful group of men. We appreciate your time so much. And uh, I'd, I'd like to read you one more quote from Pee Wee Reese. And he said, if you had a son, it would be a great thing to have him grow up to be just like Gil Hodges. Pretty nice, right? Yeah, that, exactly. Yes. Pretty nice. Yes. And it's the truth. Yeah. I mean, if you had a son, I don't have, I have daughters, but he was a wonderful example of being a good person. And you always want your children to be good people. Yeah. Well, I know you know this. Your, your dad is beloved in New York. Absolutely. Beloved by the baseball community. And it's, Gonna be a uh, it's gonna be a, a day he when he he I, I'm confident he's gonna get in the Hall of Fame one day he he has to I have a bumper sticker on my garage it says Cooperstown needs Gil Hodges and that's, okay. <laughs> that's how I feel about him as well it would be nice yeah. I hope so I hope so for everyone really not only for my family almost second but I hope for all the people that love him and support him I really do hope that for them. Yeah. It's a terrible thing to lose a parent so young, but to have these wonderful things that are said about him all the time. It's true. It's, it, it's that true. it doesn't, it, of course, it pales in comparison to having him, but to 
he he did so much in a short amount of time and you know uh 47 is 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 just so young but it's amazing he did, it's he amazing. did so much with the time that he was here that he had absolutely and uh as some people say that you know people do uh you know in a short amount of years what others take a lifetime and never do and maybe correct he he did a lifetime of things in those 47 years and irene you are terrific he did did. thank you so much for having me thank you for all your kind words of my dad it really means a lot and i appreciate them Thank you. Honor speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Len, as you like to say, wow. I mean, what a wonderful, wonderful person Irene Hodges is. We thank her for coming on our show to talk about her dad. It was really moving. Yeah. When we first started this, we did it to provide arguments, uh, discussion on why Gil Hodges should be in the Hall of Fame. After hearing all these interviews and now Irene Hodges, it's it's like if the voters would just hear just one of them, just one of them give their mm-hmm. reasoning, they would vote yes. It, yeah. It's just unbelievable what a what a person he was what, on the field, off the field. I mean, he just he exemplifies everything that the Hall of Fame is about. Exactly. He deserves to be in there for statistics. He deserves to be in there as a manager. And now, Jeff, who's next? Uh, it's our friend Gary Mack, who's going to talk about his remembrances of, of Gil Hodges. Here's Gary. We have with us the great Gary Mack. He's the host of a golf podcast called Chip Shots. He's also co-host of the Baseball Talk radio show with Rich Baxter. And he has his own uh, podcast, Mets M- Miseries. I-, I mean, uh, Mets Musings. <laughs> hi, hi. How are you guys? Great to see you. <laughs> can, can I just say, can I just give a special? I mean, Jeff already did, but. What would a Gary Mack appearance be if we didn't have a Gary Mack? Well, I do appreciate it. You guys are the best. And I'm just an old guy here sitting here contemplating about the Mets or proselytizing sometimes about the Mets. Well, why don't we get get onto a, a, a happier subject? And that's Gil Hodges. Gil Hodges, as a a great player, a great manager, a great individual, unfortunately, he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. And we wanted to get you on being such a Mets, you know, historian, someone who knows so much about them, so much about Gil Hodges. We want to get your thoughts and perspectives on why he is not in the Hall of Fame yet. Well, he should be. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I know when you look at the numbers, they don't jump out at you. He had 273 in his career. I think he had 370 home runs. He actually had a, people don't realize that his managerial record was under 500. But you have to look at the picture. And, you know, something else that, that strikes me nowadays is about everything in general, especially history, but in, in this case as well, we don't judge history anymore 
by taking into account the times, we judge it by what we think nowadays, and that's wrong. You can't do that. You have to judge history taking account of the times, and for his times, you know, he was considered to be the best defensive first baseman of the 50s. He was an all-star eight seasons. He won three gold gloves. Now, I've heard people say, well, why didn't he win more? Because they didn't have the gold glove. <laughs> they instituted the gold glove in 1957, and he won the first three years for first base in 57, uh, 57, 58, 59. And then he, he was getting older at that point. You know, and by the time he got to the Mets at 62, when they drafted him, he almost retired. He was thinking of retiring. Uh, he had a bad knee. And again, in those days, we didn't have orthoscopic surgery. We didn't have knee replacements, any of that kind of thing. If you had a knee surgery, even for a torn cartilage, which today we go in a hospital one day and you're out in his day, it, that would have meant eight weeks in a cast and then rehab and then all of that stuff. So uh, it, it's not the same. And he was age 34, 35. I think he was tired. Uh, he was out in LA. He wanted to come back to Brooklyn, the whole nine yards. So he, he retired, but he did come back to play with the Mets. And I, I think he, I think he played like 54 games with the Mets. And that was, that was his career. Uh, he retired and, Got into the managerial ranks and, and took over a terrible Washington Senators team, the original Washington Senators that eventually moved to Minnesota t- to be the Twins. He took over them and improved them immensely. Of course, they still finished last, I believe, but uh, it was just the improvement of the team. Same thing with the Mets. He came to the Mets in 68. They finished ninth. I think. And then in 69, of course, they won it all. And with that incredible year and incredible story and, and everything he did was golden that he touched. But, you know, as I say, he, he, this is a guy that was signed in, in 1943, came up with the Brooklyn Dodgers at 19 in 1943, played one game and he played it at third base, then went off to war, World War Two. He was involved in a couple of the big battles in the Pacific. He was at Okinawa. He received a bronze star medal for heroism under fire. So this was a a well-received guy and one of the most beloved guys by two generations of players. Not only the players that he played with loved him, but the players that he managed also loved and respected him. Even guys that didn't get along with them had a lot of respect for him. To get back to my opening about history, we don't have many people, we don't have many teammates left of his around to talk up for him. They did when they were alive, but, you know, Jackie Robinson died six months after Gil Hodges died. Duke Snyder has passed. Roy Campanella is gone. Very few that are left from that, those teams are, are, you know, they're old now. I mean, they're they're pushing, you know, 95 or older. So we really don't don't have a lot of those guys around that that witnessed him play. I saw him play 
in one of those 54 games in 1962. Can I say that he looked old and slow? I, you know, I got to be honest about it, but he was at the end of his career. He was finished. He knew it. Everybody knew it, but Mrs. Payson wanted New Yorkers back here, or old New Yorkers from the Dodgers and the Giants. And George Weiss, the general manager, drafted a lot of the older guys from those two teams because he wanted to establish, I think, a fan base and use the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giant fans as that initial fan base. And they could bring their kids and grandkids and and see National League Baseball again in the city of New York. And, you know, you can argue with that. It didn't work on the field. They were terrible. But did it work? Well, I'm still here as a Met fan. So uh, and there's a lot of people that that fell in love with that team and and the franchise and is still hanging around, even though it, it hurts a lot sometimes. But but Hodges is one of those guys that I you can't pin down with numbers. There's more numbers, more than numbers makes him up. You know, I, I I'm reading some stats here. He ranked second in NL history with at the time of his retirement. He was the National League leader in double plays four times and in putouts. Now that's creating double plays. That's not hitting into double plays. Uh, also, assists and fielding percentage three times each. He ranked second in NL history with 1,281 assists and 1,614 double plays when his career ended and was among the league's career leaders in games at that time. Played in 1,908 and total chances, he was 10th. Uh, with 16,751 in first base. And when he came back after the war, he actually came back as a catcher. And then they talked him in, and with Roy Campanella coming along and playing so well, they moved him to first base, and he, he turned himself into one of the best defensive first basemen of the era. And Ed Cranepool said he it was Gil Hodges that taught him how to play in first base. He didn't, he didn't learn in the minors much. You know, they threw him in there, gave him a glove. But it was Hodges that took him in 68. Now, you know, consider that Cranepool was a veteran almost by, you know, 68 because he had been up a couple of times by then and came up in 65, I think, pretty much for good. And so it was Hodges that took him aside, pulled him aside, and taught him how to play first base. So uh, I'm sorry. Let me just say Hodges. I think it was in 62, probably because Hodges was with the team. So when Cranepool was signed, he he worked with with Hodges. Cranepool and Archamsky of the 69 Mets both had issues with him because Cranepool and Hodges uh, and Chamsky were, were everyday players. And Hodges instituted a shift, not a shift. Platoon. A platoon. Thank you in right field and first base, and that affected Cranepool and it affected Shamsky against lefties. Ron Svoboda would play right field, and Shamsky would sit. And at first base, Clendenin would play against lefties. Cranepool would sit. And they didn't like that. They, they, But he also had a platoon at the second, too, with Al Weiss and uh, Ken Boswell, the people don't remember. And even at third base, though, he had Wayne Garrett was a switch hitter, but no, he was a lefty. 
and Charles. it would rotate with Ed Charles in 69. So he had it at a number of different positions, but they both told me, I've talked to both of them, as you guys have, that they had issues with it. And, and look, I don't blame them, but they never had, you know, they never disliked him. They respected the heck out of him. Tom Seaver till the day he died. You know, he, he, he loved Gil Hodges as a, uh, a second father to him and as a manager. Jerry Kuzman mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. He mentioned Gil Hodges. And, and I think you have to take the man as a whole. You can, you can look at the numbers and say they're not the greatest, but he was well-respected by his teammates. Jackie Robinson was so upset that when he heard that Gil Hodges had passed on almost to the, to the point that he was inconsolable. And you don't get that every day. Duke Snyder said he was a, the nicest guy he ever met in his life. And he was not only, he was truly a nice man anywhere he want, you know, he loved Brooklyn. He loved living in Brooklyn. He continued. I think his wife was still in the same house from the fifties. I mean, you know, I don't know how the neighborhood in Brooklyn's had its ups and downs and, and all, but it doesn't ring true to me that he's not in the Hall of Fame. Considering the guys he played with as well, you know, Camp Vanilla and Jackie Robinson, Duke Snyder are all in the Hall of Fame, but they're not here anymore to push for him. And I, I think this Veterans Committee and Golden Rule thing, I think a lot of it is politics. That's how Harold Baines got on because Tony LaRusso pushed for him and steam, you know, rolled a lot of guys. There's not a lot of all Brooklyn Dodger guys, you know, now Lasorda is gone. So who's on a committee? I don't even know, but I'd like to find out. And, 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 uh, I would suggest that we all write letters to try to get them on all into the hall of fame. Well, we are talking to none other than Gary Mack of Mets Musings. And this is our attempt by doing this special episode to have Gil Hodges enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Now, Gary, Gil Hodges, of course, you know, as, as a player to the Mets meant nothing, but brought the Mets very much, as you were just talking about, brought the Mets their first World Series as a manager. And I think we can all agree that the managerial position was certainly more significant back then, at least as far as what he did. You have, as Mets Musings, uh, I look to you for your Mets knowledge. You have two managers that have brought the Mets World Series victories. Okay. Gil Hodges, Davey Johnson, but Gil Hodges, and, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, but Gil Hodges gave them their first uh, would you would you say is is Gil Hodges your favorite Mets manager? I would have to say probably yes, but it, it's from more of an emotional point of view mm-hmm. because that was the first. And if you were a fan from '62 on, you know '62 '63 was fun. You know what I mean? We did, yeah. You oh yeah, they lost, but you know you were like, oh, but that's the match. You know, blah blah blah. The lovable losers. Right. And by 64, 65, uh, at least for me, I, I don't know how it was with every other, everybody else, but then, then you started to want to win. 
you know, uh, and they kept promising that they were building, you know, they had the farm system, blah, blah, blah. And it never seemed to happen. And you'd see guys come up and they'd have all of this praise and you thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then they'd flop. And, and you know, sometimes like Rod's boat actually came up in, in 65, I think it was, but he kind of flopped. You know, he had a great half a year or whatever it was that he uh, he played. And then you didn't hear from him. And then all of a sudden he emerged again, again and then became a platoon player and became a, a, a really good player. He worked on his game. He worked on his defense, especially. He was a terrible fielder. I mean, awful, just awful. But. He, he took it to heart and he, and he worked at it and became a good fielder or a serviceable right fielder. You know, Buddy Harrelson came up in around 65, 66. And then once Seaver got there and you started, when he started, at least you had something to hang your hat on. You know, you had, oh, it's time. It's time. You know, it was like in 86 with the Doc Good Knights. You know, when Gooden pitched, everybody was hanging a hat on or or actually 84, 85. You know, it was it was an event. You figured you had a really good chance of winning. And then Kuzman came and then you said, oh, boy, how is this team in ninth place? And then and then 69, it was like the opposite. You know, I can't believe they're on top. <laughs> it was it was crazy. It It was You'd sit there and shake your head every day when they climbed up. That you, and I, and I have to tell you, at first it wasn't. You didn't kind of realize it because they were winning, and they were going up the standings. But it was like after a while, you stopped looking at the standings because it was like it's unreal. And then once they hit first place, it was then it was game on. Then then you definitely they had to go to the playoffs in the World Series and. You know, the playoffs were all different then. It was only one round and then the World Series. So, you know, I can remember thinking, I went to a game in July. I can't remember the date now. I think it was the end of July. May have been August, early August. My father said to me, my father and a friend of mine from high school, and he said, Let's get tickets to one more game. We can get a night game and everything. And we got tickets for game in September. So yeah, I think it was a Monday night. And, uh, anyway, it turned out that was the game that they won the NLEs 5 nothing. Talk about being lucky, you know. And I can remember hanging out with my buddy. We were watching the standings, and then we started trying to do the math. You know, well, if they win here, if they win two out of three here, or if they can sweep this team, holy crap, that game's going to be the game that they can win and win the division. And then we look at each other and say, no, come on. That's, it's not going to fall for us. And it fell for us. We we just happened to have tickets for the uh, right night, be there for that. Very fascinating. It was a wild night, but we did not run on the field when we were I don't know what was we were in high school, I guess. And my father said, let's go as soon as the third out was made. So every, while everybody was celebrating on the stadium, we were on an empty seven line, taking the train back to Elmhurst 
Queens because I lived in Queens at the time and my buddy lived in Maspeth, so we had to get him home as well. But uh, I don't have nothing to do with Hodges, but it was it was all the time. And it was he was kind of, you know, Davey was good, but Davey had a kind of a grumpy reputation and. Bobby Valentine was a fiery guy and, and was out there and would do would talk to anybody, it seems. And and Gil Hodges wasn't like that. He was more of a quiet, mild mannered guy. And but like the players will tell you, he had a look if he was not happy. And you never wanted to get that look from Gil. And of course the famous incident is when he went out and pulled Cleon Jones out of the game. You know, to this day, there's controversy about what not what he not only what he did, what was said. Uh, Cleon says that, uh, you know, he came out and asked him why he didn't run after the ball. And he said, my my knee is sore. Other people say it's not. I You know, I don't know who to believe. Cleon did have a bad leg and it was muddy that day. And he did not run. You know, he didn't run hard and hard. Just didn't like that. And walked out there what was said that that's between those two you know you have to go by what cleon said he was there but that was the kind of guy he was he was very firm very tough but very fair and i i think that's what they could use a guy like that today the mets could um they need that kind of manager and but that's old school we're not going to see that and he had great baseball acumen. He just knew he had his IQ had to be off the, the <laughs> you know, off the, the the rocket path there with, with uh, as far as baseball goes. So it was an intriguing time. You know, I, when you asked me, I was thinking I had in 62, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money and stuff and, and, we didn't get souvenirs like these kids go to a game and get 15 things and everything. And my father said you could get one thing. And this is 62 now. We went to the polo grounds. They used to sell. I don't know if they still do. I don't think they do because it's too sophisticated now. It's even the souvenirs are more sophisticated. But they used to sell photo badges of, of the different players, you know? Mm-hmm. And I had one, and I, I had Gil Hodges. And crazy thing, it, it, it's, it's <laughs> as the stories, as, as, you know, life goes on, you discover some nutty things about yourself, and unfortunately, you tell them to others. But that picture, in that picture... Gil Hodges had his hat on. It was, you know, it was a, it was a shot like here, up like more or less like we were, and had this like perfect brim on his hat, this nicely turned brim. You know, now they like the flat brim and everything. But in all, in, when I was a kid, it was all about getting the brim right. And they used to sell at the ballparks. They would sell these baseball caps, but they're not like the caps you get today. Now you get official caps. You know, the caps are beautiful. These are like cheap cotton things with a freaking brim in there. And I got to tell you, I could never get that brim like Gil Hodges. And I tried all kinds of things. I used to have, uh, as a kid, Remco, which was a toy company. They used to make these science kits. And you could build like a crystal radio you know, they had a little chemistry set one. They came in these round containers and I would 
rubber band my hat around the Remco can or container to get the brim and it would never hold because it was a cheap piece of cardboard in, in, in for a brim. But I was inspired by Gil Hotch's hat in that picture. And if you look, that picture is all over, you know, it's one of the the pictures they always show him because it was like the team picture and, and it was in the yearbooks and everything. So if you see a picture of Gil Hodges, watch the brim on his hat, how how rounded, how nice it is for him. <laughs> Definitely look out for that. You know, Gary, you just mentioned that in 62, you went to the polo grounds to see Gil Hodges. And I, I'm looking at I'm looking at his baseball reference page right now. And he goes, oh, he played for Brooklyn Dodgers, Ebbets Field. Los Angeles Dodgers, Dodger Stadium. And, it, you know, it just occurred to me that, yeah, he never played at Shea Stadium. He played in one of his home ballparks with the Polo Ground, which kind of ironic since he was a Brooklyn Dodger all those years. Yeah, 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 that's true. I don't, I'm not sure he played at Dodger Stadium either, though. Because oh, when they right. first moved out, they played in the Los Angeles Coliseum. Right. So, yeah, Dodger um, Stadium wasn't built until 62. You're absolutely right. So uh, he he never played there either. But, uh, and you know, that's something else to take into context that if you see the Coliseum, you know, you've seen it on football, the Rose Bowl every year, right? Mm -hmm. It was a tough park to hit home runs in as well, unless you were a dead pole hitter. And from what I remember, I think Hodges was kind of a more of a, he can field? hit the off fields, more power. Yeah, right center. I, that I, I, for some reason, I remember that, but I, I could be wrong there. But you know, he he played minor league with Chuck Connors of the of the Riflemen. You know, so he got around. But it's his life and his career, and and it's the man that you have to also consider in this. He died in on a golf course, ironically enough, or coming off the golf course on an Easter Sunday and he was a very religious guy. So that, I don't know if there was some meaning to that, you know, who knows? He had had a, a minor heart, a heart attack in uh, 68. Of course had this massive one in 72 when he died. And Joe Pignatano was one of his coaches died in his arms. And, and I really think that he didn't suffer at all because he fell backwards, according to Pignatano, hit his head on the sidewalk with a sickening knock. I, I think he just went right away, which, you know, we all hope that uh, when it's our time that we all go. But I, I don't think people realize, too, because he played so long ago and everything that he was only 47 years old when he died. Yeah. yeah. So he was 44, 45 when he was the manager of the Mets and won the World Series. So. God only knows what would have happened. You know, I, I definitely would have think they would have won in, in 73 if he was the manager. And who knows how long, much longer had he still been there. Um, we'll, we'll never know, of course. We can speculate. But it just amazes me that with some of these guys that go into the Hall of Fame that he's not included is just just remarkable. And I, I think it's the thing that I believe is ruining the game of baseball now is, is probably ruining some of these uh, Hall of Fame selections, and that's analytics. They're applying analytics to different plays, but, but you can't measure the, the heart no. of a man. 
Uh, you, you said it right earlier when you have you had to, you know, measure him against his peers during that time. You can't yeah, use today. You can't use today's you know standards back then. Right, because the ball was made differently. Don't forget the gloves weren't as big as they are today. The fields weren't as well kept as they are today. They played night games, but the lights weren't up to what they, they, you know, the lights were probably back then, you know, equal to a good double A or a single A team. They weren't as good as they are nowadays. Nothing was as good. The facilities, they had to work in the off season. That's right. They didn't make this kind of money, you know, so they had to train and work. And you know what, Gary, as we talk about how it's, it's almost in reverse with let's say pitchers it used to be 300 wins was the ticket to the hall of fame right and and right. we would gauge if, if somebody for the most part you know how close they got to 300 wins wins and losses was huge and now nobody's sniffing 300 you know it's oh, it's, it's yeah. 200 is 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 a goal so it's it, that in that way it's reversed because mm-hmm. the stats then, as far as that goes, were higher than they are now. Again, you cannot judge that generation against this one. You, each one has to have their own comparison. So I, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And you, and you and, mentioned, and, I'm sorry, go ahead, Gary. Uh, I was just going to say, and, and don't forget the leagues were smaller. So the, the talent was that much better. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. it wasn't diluted. My word is yeah, it wasn't as diluted. So, right. you know, you had uh, the best of the best there for those, whatever in the national league at that time when he played, what was it? Eight teams or something. Yeah. I forget what they was, but, but, and you had to win your, your league. There was no playoffs. You know, you won the National League or you didn't. And for those teams and the teams he was a major factor in to be up there like almost every year in the 50s, it was either the Yankees against the, the Giants or the Yankees against the Dodgers. It seemed. I mean, Cleveland got in one year. and uh, But you have to take all that into context. And unfortunately, I don't think we do nowadays. No, you know, I'm looking at the 1955 team and the Hall of Fame is on that team. Roy Campanella, Jackie Robinson, Duke Snyder, Pee Wee Reese, also very, very good players and not Hall of Famers, but they, they maybe there's a case for Carfarillo, Sandy Amoros, Jim Gilliam, Don Newcomb. Sandy Koufax was on that team. I know he wasn't the Sandy Koufax that he became to be, but he was on that team. And by the way, he's also in the Hall of Fame. Could he be locked out of the Hall of Fame because he played with so many other Hall of Famers? Uh, it, it's possible. It, it It is a possibility, but it didn't hurt Tony Perez uh, with Cincinnati. I mean, he eventually got in. And, and one of the knocks against Hodges getting in, as they say, he never won. He never led his the league in any categories, offensive categories, and he never won an MVP or was close to winning an MVP. Well, neither did Tony Perez, if if, if I'm not mistaken. 
he he never led in categories. But what do you do with a consistently uh, a cog in a machine that was and and the Dodgers, the players said this in the fifties. He was the heart and soul. Right. You know, Jackie Robinson was the emotion and and you know the speed. He got things going and. Pee Wee Reese was the captain, but they say that that uh, uh, Hodges was the heart and the soul of the team. And can you let players in for being the heart and the soul? I well, you know what? If they deliver, yeah. And he he led them. Uh, I think he won the World Series three times. He led them the one World Series he had that that he did play in that the Dodgers lost. I think it was. It wasn't 47. I only think he had an at-bat in 47. Can't think of what year it was now. But he had an awful, 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 awful World Series. Just plain terrible. And in, in fact, it was so bad that they were uh, uh, a priest in Brooklyn had a, <laughs> during his sermon asked them all to pray for Gil Hodges that he gets ahead. Because he had a, he had a rough time. There. Yeah, it was, a, but, it was like fifty two. He was zero for twenty one or something. Yeah, he he just had it. Uh, he just had an awful uh, record. But the other World Series that he played in, he was terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he 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 led the the Dodgers in hitting in a couple of them. I think reading here now, he was. Uh, Perhaps the only Brooklyn Dodger regular never booed at their home park. So uh, 52. Yeah, that's, that's what it was. He was a terrific player. They got overlooked by the Hall of Fame and 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 then made the transition. To, you know, some of these guys don't make the transition to management. They try and and they fail. And as I said, his his record as a manager if you look at it, but you know it's it's um, what six fifty and seven fifty three or something. Yeah, but he's got a world championship there, and and look at the teams, Washington Senators. I mean, they were you know what did they used to say about the Washington Senators? First in your hearts, but last in the American League. Right. First in the war, you first know. in last yeah, in the American first League. First in war. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Uh, you know, forever. And I, I think, you know, he got eight times all-star he was. Yeah. We we talked about a gold glove, the gold glove. Uh, he hit four home runs in a game once. He's in the Mets Hall of Fame, which is, a, you know, I, I, I think it's a great honor to be named into your team's Hall of Fame. Sure. And if, he probably. If your team has yeah. it. He would have said um, the same thing. I, I, could, I, you know, I can guarantee you that. He would have said the same exact thing. It, it, it's not technically the same as the Baseball Hall of Fame, but it, it means that you made such an impact on a, on a on a city and on a team that I think it's a great honor, and and I think the players do too. I don't think they think anything less of it. And of course, they all want to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but you know what? He's got that, and but it would be nice to see him in there. It's just, it's got to happen soon because his wife is getting older now. She's like what ninety six, I think. She's she's up there, yeah. Uh, he, yeah. She, he has three children who are 
you know, you said AARP before. They're they're up to now. They're in the seventies. Yeah, they're in the sixties. Sixties and seventies. Yeah. 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 Gil Hodges Jr. Irene Hodges, and he has yeah. two other daughters. Yeah. You know, it's time, and and this might be the last chance that he has. Yeah. I, I, I'm surprised somebody hasn't stepped up though, and and said, and has pushed for this more. I mean, there has to be somebody out there that that. Uh, Pushes, you know, why aren't the Dodges pushing for it more? You know, well, you know uh, Gary, we spoke to uh, Kevin Kernan, and mm-hmm. he said that there's one person out there who who has a passionate argument for for Gil Hodges. Still around today, he's getting older, and he's seen him play almost every game he's ever played, and that would be uh, Vince Scully. It mm-hmm. would be a, a great person for, for, to advocate on. Yeah. on on his behalf. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be, you know, great. Because now, especially now, Lasorda is gone. And Lasorda played with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, briefly, Lasorda uh, pitched with the Dodgers. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope it happens this December, I think. And then, of course, then the, the question is, how does he go in? Does he go in as a Dodger? Does he go in as a meth? Why nah, are they he, put? He know, goes in you know, as a Dodger. Well, you, you know what? So? I don't know. I don't know. It depends yeah. on how uh, like Joe Torre went in with the Yankee hat because he was a manager, but he was also a very good player. So it's right. Well, maybe maybe he yeah. goes in without a hat on. Who who knows? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That could yeah. be. That could yeah. be. Uh, Gary, we can, we'll still claim him. Well, exactly right. Gary, we want to thank you for taking time out of, out of your evening to join us. We, uh, you know, we, we, hear, we hear it in your voice, the, the passion that you have for Gil Hodges. And I would I would suggest everybody out there listening to if you're on Twitter or Facebook, you know, maybe put a little tweet out there saying Gil Hodges for Hall of Fame. You know, just get the word out there and, and tag the Hall of Fame in there. Why not? Yeah, that's a great idea. And uh, let's get let's get Gil in there. Try to find out who's on this committee. I don't know if they release the names because they don't want to deal with this sort of thing, but. We'll look into it, and if anybody find out anything, we'll let everybody know. Well, thank Tell you. Tell them you heard about it on Baseball and Barbecue. Yes. <laughs> and, Gary, yeah. before we let you go, uh, give us a little plug for your uh, your social media, your, yeah. your shows, so people can find out where they get you. Well, as you were so kind to say before, I, I do uh, three podcasts currently. do Mets Musings, which is available at MetsMusings.com, and there's a Facebook page, Mets Musings. Also, the Baseball Talk radio show I do with the uh, great Rich Baxter, who's my good friend and a Phillies guy, but nonetheless, he's okay. And, and uh, we do the Baseball Talk radio show every week. And uh, we have a Facebook page, too, that's uh, the Baseball Talk Radio Show. So go check it out there. And you can find those fine podcasts along with baseball and BBQ at uh, BaseballTalkRadio.com. So you you can tune in there and get all kinds of baseball uh, podcasts. I also do a golf podcast, my other love, and uh, that's called Chip Shots. And that's available on YouTube at Gary Mac Golf. Uh, or on, uh, what is it? Anchor, anchor.fm slash chip shots. You can get it there, the audio version. So I do audio and video on all my podcasts just for the heck of it. I don't know. I got nothing <laughs> better to do. <laughs> and please, everybody, go ch- check them out. So, Gary, thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it. As always, well, Gary, we thank you. 
Well, thank you guys for keeping me relevant and uh, <laughs> having me on. I love being on your show. Thank you so much. You guys are the best and true blue good guys and good friends. And, and thank you. Gary Mack. Wow. He really captured it. Another view. Another great reason, uh, argument. I, I don't even want to call it an argument because discussion. then it sounds like people, right? Discussion. Argument makes it sound like people are fighting. Right. Discussion. But again, another great discussion on Gil Hodges and uh, more. Gary, of course, spoke more, uh, you know, of, of him as a you know, manager for the, you know what, Jeff? The Miracle Mets. They are called the Miracle Mets, the 69 Miracle Mets. There are some teams that win the World Series and then you forget about them. You you really do. I, you say, what year did so, you know, what, what happened in this year? I don't know. 1969. You're going to, anyone ask who won the World Series in 1969? You're going to know the Mets. That was an incredible team with an incredible leader. If Gil Hodges is not the leader of that team, I, I don't know that there, there, there are no miracle Mets. Yeah. There's no miracle, right? right? There's no miracle. Right. All right. So Jeff, I, I really hope that come December 5th, he's on the ballot. We, we find out and yeah. take us out, Jeff. Baseball always t- brings you home from the poet, Shel Krakowski, the musician, Dave Dresser, and once again, thank you, Irene Hodges. Thank you, Gary Mack. Thank you to our wonderful listeners. See ya. See you next time.